Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today is Tuesday, March 24, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we have up-to-date information on the COVID-19 pandemic, including more states that are ordering people to be sheltered in place. What is happening with the stimulus bill on Capitol Hill? We'll talk with Congresswoman Karen Bass, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. A black Florida official goes off on the mayor of his city saying she's not doing enough. He will we'll show you the video and he'll explain why he put her on blast. Also in Florida, Lieutenant Governor says he has no problem risking his health for the economy. Okay, that makes no sense. Also, the Lieutenant Governor of Texas is an idiot, pretty much saying let's just leave our older uh, parents and grandparents their own devices so they can protect the economic interests of their children in the future. What, what, what the hell is going on? And New Orleans uh, is one of the hot spots in America for coronavirus infections, but nobody is really focusing on this nationally. All the attention really is on New York. We'll talk to a local doctor. And Atlanta is one of the latest cities declaring a shutdown. And the mayor of Atlanta has said they've reached a critical stage for ICU beds in the city. And the World Health Organization 
says social distancing may not stop the acceleration of the coronavirus. Also, according to uh, a cruise line, the COVID-19 virus is still on surfaces some 17 days later, longer than many people actually thought about. Plus, looking back at the lives and untimely deaths of some African-Americans who have died due to the coronavirus. Folks, it is time to bring the funk. Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. As we go through this coronavirus pandemic all across the globe, the daily circus of the White House is taking place right now. Larry Kutlow, uh, the chief economic advisor to the president, is speaking right now. Let's go to the news conference. Assistance program in the history of the United States. Phase two delivered the sick leave for individuals, hourly workers, uh, families, and so forth. Phase three, a significant package for small businesses. Uh, loan guarantees will be included. We're going to take out expenses and lost revenues. As the president said, eligibility requires uh, worker uh, retention. We will maintain the people eligible, will maintain their payrolls during this crisis period. And on top of that, we will have direct deposit checks of roughly $3,000 for a family of four, and that will bridge to uh, enhanced, plussed-up unemployment insurance benefits that will essentially uh, take those up to full wages. This is one, two, three, four. You know, a strong workforce requires strong business. You can't have a job without a business to work for. And the hope here is that the companies that were operating very well at the beginning of the year when the economy was in good shape, we will help them and their employees get through this tough period so they will come out the other side, let's say this uh, later this spring or summer, and will continue their operations. That's the key point. Now, don't forget, there's income tax deferrals for individuals and corporations without interest and penalties. There's student loan interest and principal deferrals without any penalties. And finally, I want to mention the Treasury's exchange stabilization refund. That will be replenished. It's important because that fund opens the door for Federal Reserve firepower to deal a broad-based way throughout the economy for distressed industries, for small businesses, for financial turbulence. You've already now, the United States Senate, of course, they actually have to actually pass that, and so they're still actually uh, debating that uh, and uh, finalizing those conversations. Uh, Speaker, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has made it perfectly clear that the House may very well move on their own. Republicans have really been upset uh, for the last couple of days as a result of Democrats demanding a number of other items be placed in there. In fact, it was quite interesting uh, watching this debate where you had Congresswoman, excuse me, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Tennessee, angry that they included uh, uh, voter relief in the bill. Well, 
voting has a has, has been greatly impacted by the coronavirus. And so, again, that's sort of the nonsense that you're actually seeing uh, coming from uh, coming from um, folks on the Republican side. And so, it, it has been uh, quite. Uh, a wild last uh, 48 hours again as we are monitoring what takes place. Uh, I've had a number of people with small businesses who have reached out to me who have said small businesses really need to have um, a serious, serious uh, help when it comes to uh, what is happening with the uh, coronavirus. Uh, here's uh, Senator Cory Booker talking about uh, again uh, what needs to happen in this Senate bill. Uh, here we go to my iPad please maybe hours before a deal is being set, but there's uh, fierce negotiations going on down here. A lot of people are trying to put this into a partisan perspective, but this is about people. I wanna give you a couple examples of things that we're trying to push this bill to include more of. Uh, the first one is just a lot more support for our hospitals. Hospitals are now in a deep crisis as this wave is coming of a demand on our hospital systems uh, that we don't have a supply to meet. We've got to act from the federal government to get the hospitals a lot more resources so that they can meet this growing demand. I'm in the trenches fighting for things that people might not be thinking through, like increased SNAP payments, uh, help for our towns and localities. And a big area that's going on right now is just fighting for our small businesses. Uh, we see on the Republican side large funds for big corporations. We're trying to put much more accountability and transparency into that. But we cannot allow our small businesses, businesses that are the backbone for job creation in our country, not to have the kind of robust support uh, that they need as well. So there's a lot going on down here in Washington right now. I am fighting every single day uh, to try to talk about things and get things into this bill that, uh, frankly, we often don't think about, whether it's a crisis facing uh, people that are in our prison systems right now, or even families that have particular special needs. We have a monumental challenge. We cannot meet that through half steps and half measures. We have to act as big as possible to get the support that our communities, our towns, our hospitals, our people need right now. That is the fight. I'm glad we're making progress, and hopefully, by the end of the day today, we will see the progress we need to move this bill forward. All right, folks, there are now 50,982 cases of COVID-19 as of today. That number includes all 50 states and three U.S. territories. At least 655 patients have died. Now, more American states have gone under lockdown with Louisiana, New Mexico, Washington State, and West Virginia issuing stay-at-home orders. Uh, also, uh, what is happening, we talked about what's happening with the cities a few moments ago. Uh, I saw this tweet. The Atlanta mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, tells the, uh, the CBS affiliate in uh, Atlanta that ICU units in hospitals across Atlanta are at capacity, are at capacity. It's one of the reasons why uh, you hear, see mayors and governors uh, asking the federal government for more help when it comes to what is happening uh, with the coronavirus and hospitals are on the brink. Uh, but the problem that you have is you have a White House that is so focused on uh, the economic numbers that you have Donald Trump, who is literally, y'all, literally talking about bringing everything back online by Easter. It's April 12th. It's March 24th. Um, that makes no sense at all. Uh, and he was actually at the White House uh, and was speaking about that. But he also gave an interview with Fox News and he's fixated, he's fixated on this idea uh, of Easter that's probably because his white conservative evangelicals have been telling him, 
this whole deal. And listen to what he tells Bill Hemmer of Fox News about wanting to see the churches packed. Folks, we've got the health experts saying we have yet to see the worst, how bad this week is going to be. And he's already talking about how we can get this thing back going by Easter Sunday. Listen to this. For the citizens of our country. During our town hall today, you threw out a date where you think America can be working again. And that's Easter Sunday. That's 19 days from now. How did you come up with that day? Well, it's 19 days, but add another seven because we've been doing this now for seven. So that's from the time we heard about it. Seven to nine. From the time we, yes, from the time we we close it up. So you could add seven to nine. Uh, Look. Easter's a very special day for me. And I see it's sort of in that timeline that I'm thinking about. And I say, wouldn't it be great to have all of the churches full? You know, the churches aren't allowed, essentially, to have much of a congregation there. And most of them, I watched on Sunday online. And he was terrific, by the way. But online is never going to be like being there. So I think Easter Sunday, and you'll have packed churches all over our country, I think it would be a beautiful time. And it's just about the timeline that I think is right. It gives us more chance to work on what we're doing. And I'm not sure that's going to be the day, but I would love to aim it right at Easter. No words. That's what Donald Trump literally said today after his town hall on Fox News. Here's Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York talking this morning, obviously frustrated. 100 ventilators. Really? What am I going to what am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. Where are they? Where are the ventilators? Where are the gowns? Where's the PPEs? Where are the masks? Where are they? Where are they if they're doing it? And by the way, Peter Navarro uh, well, we want to work with companies. Fine, work with companies. When what the Defense Procurement Act was about, the country needed materials to go to war. They didn't, when we went to war, we didn't say, uh, any company out there want to build a battleship? Who wants to build a battleship? Maybe a couple of you guys could get together and build a battleship. Maybe a couple of you guys could get together and, and build us some missiles. Maybe you think. Anybody want to build a plane? You know, we're going to need planes. They're, they're, they're sending planes at us and they're dropping bombs. Anybody want to do that? That's not how you did it. President said it's a war. It is a war. Well, then act like it's a war. Joining us right now is Congresswoman Karen Bass of California, <laughs> chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Congresswoman Bass, get, glad to have you on the show. You're from a state that's on lockdown, some 40 million people. Uh, that's you right. have uh, more states uh, that are actually uh, shutting things down. You have counties. You have Mecklenburg County in North Carolina, the largest county in that state, uh, ordered a shelter in place. You've got Harris County uh, in the largest county in Texas. You've got Dallas County. Uh, it seems as if you have these governors and county and city leaders who recognize that you have that you have a rudderless operation from the White House, and you've got Donald Trump who's over there talking today about, hey, let's have all the churches packed by Easter because it's a special day to me, and he's acting as, and he literally has said, uh-huh. we're almost, he said in his news conference that we're almost at the end. 
of Hello? this battle. What, what, the, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, Roland, I don't... Congresswoman, do you hear me? Uh, you were going in and out. So okay. I... All right. I, I'm trying to understand. This guy is up... Trump is up and talking about we're almost at the end of this battle. What the hell right. is he well, talking I, about? I, th I mean, I think that we know, first of all... Well, I mean, he's talking nonsense like he has from the beginning. He has no understanding of science. We know that uh, through many other things he said in his policies. He refuses to accept that this is a serious problem. Remember, a few weeks ago, it was a Democratic Party hoax to go after him and to destroy his presidency. So he is, it is impossible for him, and we've experienced this over three and a half years, so it really shouldn't be new. It's impossible for him to see the world outside of his own self. And he's thinking about his reelection and how this virus is destroying his economy. Not the fact that over 45,000 people have been infected and a couple of hundred people have died. That is not his concern. Remember, he didn't want the ship to dock because he didn't want his numbers to be messed up. So I don't think that, that it should be surprising the stance he's taking. Now, what has happened in our country, though, is that the governors, the mayors, the county executives, just as you have uh, described, they have stepped up. They are the ones that are leading. So there is no national coherent leadership. There is only leadership from the states, the counties, and the cities. Now, we're fortunate on the House side because to the extent that there is national leadership, it's coming from Speaker Pelosi. It is not coming from the Senate side at all, and it's not coming from the Republicans. So right now, we're waiting to see what's in the Senate bill, but we already know that it's going to be a huge bailout for major corporations, and we're not sure how it's going to help working people. Um, when we And so you have Republicans who are very angry at Democrats, saying that uh, Democrats are trying to load this bill up uh, with all sorts of things. And uh, frankly, they've been quite indignant on the Senate floor, uh, saying that this needs to be passed right now. Well, we are trying to load it up. We're trying to load it up with benefits and policies to help working people. I mean, they want to give everybody a check, which is fine. Give me a check. But if I'm unemployed, what does that check do? That check pays a couple of bills, and then afterwards, I'm homeless. So we're talking about doing a variety of things. We're talking about giving money to community health centers. We're talking about making sure that unemployment insurance extends to, uh, to people for longer periods of time and at higher amounts. We're talking about grants to community-based organizations. We are looking out for folks who are not the millionaires and billionaires. And I do have to say that we know that even some senators were able to, it appears now, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, why did they sell their stocks, you know? So uh, for us, it is not just about the 1%, but it is about the American people. We have to worry about our historically black colleges and universities. We have to worry about the students that don't have any place to go when the dorms close. Those are the issues we're worried about. So if the senators are the Republicans want to accuse us of loading the bill up, they're correct. But we're loading it up for working people and working families. Uh, you talked about, um, uh, you talked about uh, HBCUs. Uh, I believe the Thurgood Marshall Fund, I saw a press release uh, just a couple of days ago, actually it was yesterday. And I think that what they, uh, matter of fact, here it is, uh, they're asking Congress to allocate 
uh, $1.5 billion in emergency Title III and Title V funding uh, to assist HBCUs as well as uh, minority-serving institutions. Uh, they say, quote, the language unveiled in the Senate bill last week includes some helpful regulatory and payment relief for institutions, but simply does not do enough to provide financial relief for schools. Well, we were calling for a much higher amount than that. We were calling, and the we I'm referring to is the Congressional Black Caucus. So we have our own proposals that we're putting forward. And I'll make sure that you have those proposals, okay, Roland? Okay. Because here's the reality. We are going to wind up voting on a Senate bill, and it is going to be very deficient. But what we do know is that there's going to be one, if not two, more bills after this. And here's where we would really like to ask for your help, because all of the civil rights organizations, the faith-based community, all the sectors of our community coming together with a proposal that we're all fighting for. But we want to start fighting for it now. We don't want to fight for it while the package is being written. Now, of course, we're going to push to get everything we can in this bill. But I want us to view it from two levels. One, fight for today, but also fight for next week. So I would love to get your help in that. Uh, we certainly uh, do all the help that we can, we can give. And so certainly let us know. Uh, and, we, you know, look, we, we're focused on this. We, we're live every single day uh, trying to give the information to our folks. Uh, because, frankly, I mean, look, I swear if you look at cable television, you don't think there are any black experts on any of these topics. Uh, right. so that's, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about doctors and infectious disease experts. I'm, I'm, so we've been having them every single day because we got to make sure our people and look. A lot of our people are also dying. And so I'm going to be talking about a little bit later, uh, you know, prominent African-Americans, a guy who went to college at Texas A&M with who played basketball. I mean, many of us are dying. So these people who out here saying black people are not getting coronavirus are absolutely idiots. And New Orleans is really being devastated by this. We'll be talking yes. to a doctor about that a little bit later as well. Right. That's right. All right, Congresswoman, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, what uh, was happening, uh, Anthony Fauci was just at the podium uh, answering one of the questions uh, because about this timeline uh, that Donald Trump wants to have. Let's see if we can go back to uh, this uh, news conference and hopefully we can have some truth. But Donald Trump looks like he's at the podium, so we can expect lying. Uh, direct assistance, roughly $4 trillion in Federal Reserve lending power. Again, It'll be the largest Main Street financial package. All right, package so we're going to actually uh, I'm gonna do a reset of that. Uh, again, um, I told you what, what Trump is talking about. I mean, he's literally talking about hopefully having everybody back at work targeting Easter Sunday. I'm telling y'all, it's his white conservative evangelicals who are putting that date in place. Uh, you had this mega pastor down in Louisiana. They had almost 2,000 people at a service. I mean, these people, y'all, Louisiana is, has one of the highest infection rates in the country. If these idiotic, these idiotic white conservative evangelical pastors are having these people show up for church service like it's not even happening. Now, you have all these people who are complaining about what's happened, what's happened in New York City, which is becoming a true hot zone. Now you got people who are leaving New York City who are traveling to Florida and all these other states. And uh, Fauci, I'm, uh, Fauci, I'm going to play in a second, he said they might be impacted. Let's go back to the news conference right now. They have very big sections of Texas where, you know, it's, uh, it's like numerous states, frankly. But we can uh, have large sections of 
If we want to do it that way, we can have large sections of the country open. I think it's very important that we start moving on that and start thinking about it, because our country wants to be open. Our people want it to be open, and they want it, they want, they're raring to go. And I think it's one of the reasons that we're going to have a tremendous bounce back. I think it's going to go very quickly. Also, I want to thank, while I'm here... Okay, let me explain something, y'all. Go to, go, go to a split screen on the, like we did yesterday, Henry. Here's what you're dealing with, so I can monitor what's happening. Here's what you need to understand. There is no national shutdown. Let me say that again. There is no national shutdown. Donald Trump keeps talking, and he's lying. He didn't order a national shutdown. They announced a national emergency. The shutdown is a result of governors, county leaders, and mayoral leaders who recognize you have to be able to slow this pandemic down. Of the 19 or so states, around 20 or so states, right now, uh, let's see, I think, I think this thing is over. Of, of, of the 20, 20 or so states, it represents 158 million Americans sheltered in place. This idiot is literally talking about, oh, let's just get, get back to normal because he is fixated on the stock market. That's all they care about. It's the stock market. It's the stock market. It's the stock market. That's all you hear. The stock market. And then people say, well, you know, if you look at the numbers, the death rate may be about 1%. So we're good with that. But you have the doctors who are saying, Slow this thing down. We got to keep these provisions in place to do so. Uh, in a second, I'm going to play for you uh, what uh, Dr. Fauci said. Uh, again, talking about tests and hot spots around the country. Here we go to my iPad. Testing and how that has really changed the complexion of the approach that we're going to be able to take. We write, you know, testing was an issue. We had many questions of testing in this room for a number of times. Now that we literally have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of testing out there, there are a few things that we can do with that. One of the things is that when we make policy about what we're going to be doing with the rest of the country, particularly those areas that are not hot spots, we need to know what the penetrance of infection is there. So we need to put a light on those dark spots that we don't know. We have to act policy-wise on data. And we're going to be getting more data, a lot more data. The other thing is that the areas of the country that are not hotspots, that are not going through the terrible ordeal that New York and California and Washington State are going through, they still have a window of a significant degree of being able to contain. In other words, when you test, you find somebody, you isolate them, you get them out of circulation, and you do the contact tracing. When you have a big outbreak, it's tough to do anything but mitigation. We have an opportunity now that we have the availability of testing to do that. So you're going to be hearing more about how we can inform where we're going, particularly because we have the ability to test. The second So uh, you're hearing what, what they're trying to break down when we talk about the testing. The problem that we still have is you just heard it yesterday when at the news conference they said that They've only processed 250,000 tests. That's it. 250,000.
thousand tests. We still are at a point where we do not know how significant this is. I told you what is happening in New York. I told you that they're at max capacity for ICU beds in Atlanta. I told you what is happening in Louisiana. And you've got Donald Trump who's acting as if, hey, let's just hurry up and get this thing. Y'all, the man literally said today, we're almost at the end of this. We're almost at the end of this. I, I'm trying to figure out in what world. In, in, in what world are we almost at the end of this? I, that's not what all the experts that we've had on, that's not what you've been even hearing from the experts um, in these news conferences. I, I, I have no idea to explain, again, the lying that consistently happens uh, and what is going on from um, this administration. Let's bring in my panel right now. Joining me via Skype, Michael Brown, former vice chair, Democratic National Committee, Finance Committee, uh, Kelly Bethea, communication strategist, Melody Abdul, Republican strategist. Um, I'm going to start with you, Michael. Again, as, as, I'm, as I'm looking at looking at this and I'm looking at numbers and I'm looking at what's happening in New York City and we're seeing the numbers there. We're seeing what's happening in the state of Louisiana. Um, we do not have a full handle on where we stand, yet Donald Trump literally a few moments ago at the news conference talked about how we're almost at the end of this. He's clearly, besides being an impeached president, a very inept president. And he got off on the wrong foot because he was hoping that maybe only one or two cases would come to the United States from China or for, from wherever. That clearly wasn't the case. And by the time it spread, it was too late for him and his administration to put in the kind of procedures you need to then mitigate, as, as um, Tony, um, Tony has been talking about all week. And so without the processes to mitigate, the spread continued. And then it was about spin, and then it was about his supporters. And, and once he gets into the political realm with him, you can forget all rational thought. And that's what you've been talking about today. Nothing's rational. And so from this point on, we're all going to be playing catch up. April 12th, he's going to turn the thoughts back on. I don't know how people, especially some states, aren't going to just let churches fill up. There's still going to be type of spacing, whether it's in grocery stores, pharmacies, hospitals. Well, hospitals are going to be overrun. And then clearly churches and synagogues and mosques. Kelly, I, 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 I'm, I, I, I'm still trying to put my arms around him coming out today saying uh, his target or timeline is Easter Sunday. And he's already talking about wanting to see all of the churches full. When if you, his own Surgeon General said on Monday, this week, is going to get going to be a very bad week. 
No, I am thoroughly disgusted by this president on a regular basis, but for him to use religion, specifically Christianity, because that is the predominant religion in this country, to try and and garner some type of support and be like, oh, I'm trying to get churches open as a way to appease and appeal to the evangelical Christian community, uh, it, it is blasphemy at its highest level. Because first and foremost, you don't need a church building in order to have church. If he were a Christian, he would know that. So for him to say that, oh, I want all the churches open and I want, you know, pastors to garner uh, congregants and all these things, but it's absolutely ridiculous. God would want you to stay home. God would want you to be healthy. God would want you to serve him in any capacity in any capacity that is that is going to help others. You being in a building does not preclude you from serving God. So let let's just get that out the way right now. It's clear that Donald Trump isn't Christian. If anything, he's more of a troll. And we've known this for years. But for him to use the religion that I ascribe to, that I have been following since birth, basically, it's it's beyond insulting. And for other, and what's even more insulting is that churches are actually following him. They're actually having service, like these mega churches, like you said in Louisiana. There is no way for you to truly practice uh, social distancing in such a way that will help thousands of congregants be healthy within your vicinity. You need to stay home. You need to open up your Bible from home. If you want to see your pastor, Skype. You know, something other than being in a building because that's not going to help this crisis. Um, just because you don't know people who are dying doesn't mean that people got aren't it. dying. So just step outside of yourself and actually contribute to the greater good. Uh, Malik, I want to, before I go to you, I want to play this video here. Uh, this is Dr. Fauci at the podium. He's talking about, again, how this thing is reaching critical mass in New York, and they're trying to get people not to leave the state because they could likely spread this virus around the rest of the country. So go to my iPad, Henry. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Deb. Uh, I want to just talk very briefly about two or three things. First, the issue of testing and how that has really changed the complexion of the approach that we're going to be able to take. We write, you know, testing was an issue. We had many questions of testing in this room for a number of times. Now that we literally have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of testing out there, there are a few things that we can do with that. One of the things is that when we make policy about what we're going to be doing with the rest of the country, particularly those areas that are not hot spots, we need to know what the penetrance of infection is there. So we need to put a light on those dark spots that we don't know. We have to act policy-wise on data. And we're going to be getting more data, a lot more data. The other thing is that the areas of the country that are not hot spots, that are not going through the terrible ordeal that New York and California and Washington State are going through, they still have a window of significant degree of being able to contain. In other words, when you test, you find somebody, you isolate them, you get them out of circulation, and you do the contact tracing. When you have a big outbreak, it's tough to do anything but mitigation. We have an opportunity now that we have the availability of testing to do that. So you're going to be hearing more about how we can inform where we're going, particularly because we have the ability to test. The second thing is I just want to reiterate 
what Dr. Burke said about New York. It, it's a very serious situation. They've suffered terribly through no fault of their own. But what we're seeing now is that, understandably, people want to get out of New York. They're going to Florida. They're going to Long Island. They're going to different places. The idea, if you look at the statistics, it's disturbing. About one per thousand of these individuals are infected. That's about eight to ten times more than in other areas, which means when they go to another place, for their own safety, they've got to be careful, monitor themselves. If they get sick, bring it to the attention of a physician, get tested. Also, the idea about self-isolating for two weeks will be very important because we don't want that to be another seeding point to the rest of the country, wherever they go. And then thirdly, just one, one just comment about, about drugs and the testing of drugs. Folks, uh, so, so, so Malik, uh, again, does it make sense, again, to have a Surgeon General saying how difficult this week is going to be? You look at the numbers exploding in New York, you look at what's happening in New Orleans, to have Donald Trump say today at the podium that we're almost at the end of this, where in the hell is that coming from? Yeah, I don't think it's helpful for the president to really get into dates. I do think that part of the reason he's done that as of late now is because there have been many questions asked. I imagine that many of the business owners that he speak with would want to know some type of time frame that we're looking at. But I think he said something that was absolutely important and that a lot of people should really take into consideration here. Donald Trump can give whatever date that he wants. He can say that the date should be next week. But as you pointed out, these are decisions that governors and local um, leaders are actually making. Donald Trump doesn't dictate when states decide to um, get from under their stay-at-home um, designations that they have for their state. So I Donald Trump, I, I don't think that he is helping the situation in the sense that he's giving out dates like this, you know, just you know, random dates, because that's essentially what it is. But, but by Easter, it would have been almost 30 days that we would have been under this type of national situation, not the emergency itself. But I don't think that, you know, giving a date like Easter, that's a, that's a, I think me personally, I think that's a very good thing to be hopeful that that date is when it's over. But the experts that we have around the president, and as I've been saying, you know, we should listen to what the experts are saying. But Donald Trump himself he has very limited capacity to do anything as far as even whether, you know, the criticism of church is being open. Donald Trump has no type of authority. Right. right. So, 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 even, so even though he has no authority, but it's but it's irresponsible, though. I mean, it's 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 irresponsible to, to have Trump start saying we're at the end of this and you had your surgeon general on Monday. Two days ago, 48 hours ago, saying this is going to be the worst week we've had? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely. I don't, I don't think that Donald Trump throwing out the random guesses, which is what he's doing, you know, I don't think that Donald Trump is um, helping it. I think a lot of the problems, you know, from the beginning has really been the PR campaign, the messaging campaign from the White House, as opposed to what the federal government is or is not doing, because the federal government has performed well, but it's just the messaging comes coming from Donald Trump. No, 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 no. I'm up. sorry. I'm sorry. The federal government hasn't performed well when we were told in the first week of March 
by the government when Donald Trump went down to the CDC that by that Friday, we were going to have 4 million tests. We don't have, we don't have 4 million tests. Well, yeah, well, I think, well, first of all, we have to, and I'm one of those who defends the federal government because, you know, yeah, we could have these conversations about what, what politicians are on, on television are saying, but I have no doubt no, that these No, I didn't say politician. No, no, no. I'm saying? I have no doubt that the people at the CDC or any of these agencies really are working their ass off to make sure that we get the information no, out there. No, 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 now, no, 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 no. Malik, Malik, now, do, do you forget? Let me finish right quick. Saying that there, were, there would be 4 million tests, by that the end of the week. Act, yeah, but, but I'm saying, saying that there would be 4 million tests, pro projecting that, that is a messaging problem as opposed to a failure of federal government. No, problem. that's not a Should messaging our, problem. Our, our, it that, is the federal government. <laughs> Donald Trump is part of the federal government. Why are you bifurcating what Donald Trump says from what the federal government is doing? He's the head because of the federal, the federal government. Because the federal government is the one... Because the federal government, they are actually responding to it. As I said, Donald Trump can have his own messaging problems, but to act as if that the federal government, the experts that are part of the task force around the president every day, if you listen to the people, the experts who are actually talking about this in government, they're telling you what the federal government is doing. They just had Attorney General Barr, um, the Attorney General Barr, talking about how the, the federal government is going after things like Prowse gouging. You I understand you that, but when you're a commander... Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Kelly. Hold up, Kelly. Kelly, I want you to respond, because, Kelly, this is exactly what took place. Mike Pence, the vice president, said that we would have 4 million tests by March 13th. Today is... March 24th, Kelly, 11 days later, we don't have 4 million tests. Mike Pence, Kelly, is also the federal government. Everybody is part of the federal government. Everybody that you see on that podium is part of the federal government. The Surgeon General is part of the federal government. The president is the head of the federal government. The vice president is the right-hand man of the head of the federal government. So what's happening is not just a miscommunication issue. It is the head of the federal government lying about what he asked what the rest of the federal government, the people who he works, uh, he represents, the people who work for him, he is lying about what they are doing. He is over-delivering, or over-promising, rather, and under-delivering by giving us messages saying that something is going to happen when it's clearly not even available to us to have. So it's not just messaging. It's just straight-up lying. It's a, it's a miscommunication. It's a misrepresentation. Frankly, it's fraud. I mean, the, real, the reality is, it, it is lying, Michael. It is lying. And in fact, here's the deal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play for you this video that lays out the lie. Miller, you can shake your head all you want to, but lying is lying. When you stand in front of a camera and say one thing and a totally another thing happens, that's a lie. That's not, oh, he's miscommunicated. No, he's lying. He's absolutely lying. And the problem is this here. The problem is people are actually dying. You have governors, mayors who are saying... He's, today, he said he signed the National Defense uh, uh, Production Act. But he won't use it! Uh, so he I won't use it! No, actually, I, I'm, I, going, I'm going to Michael here. Oh. And then I'll go back to you, Malik. Michael, he... Again... He says, oh, I signed it. We're using it. 
but we're not using it. I hope it's not the cynic in me, Roland, that just thinks that everything he does is political for his base, having nothing to do with what's best for the country. Here's the example. Washington State, New York State are obviously the hardest hit, and, and California. Louisiana is now obviously trending upwards, as other states are. But clearly, Governor Cuomo has taken the lead because New York is just getting hammered. If New York was a red state and had a Republican governor, would 45 be acting like this? Because I'm wondering mm -hmm. if everything with him is blue and red. If it's not a red state, if it's not happening in Texas, and that clown lieutenant governor in Texas talks about he'll sacrifice his own health to get the economy moving again, shows this cult culture of his supporters and the fact that clearly New York is a blue state with a Democratic governor. I wonder if politics is playing how he's even thinking about who to help. I want to push back on that just a little bit because Maryland has a Republican governor right now, but because that Republican governor does not support Trump, Maryland isn't even getting the support that they need from this president. So if whoever is aligned with Trump, period, though, red, though blue, purple, green, whatever. Though you're right, and I, I agree with your pushback, Maryland is a blue state. It is not a red state. Maryland's a blue state, but we got a red governor. That's what I'm saying. But it's, not a, it's a blue state. Sure. It, it, it is. It is. I, I, I'm. I'm watching this thing in real time. And check this out. This was all. This is what was said at the uh, news conference today. Uh, Donald Trump on why he couldn't support Speaker Nancy Pelosi's uh, package. Quote: They had windmills in there, Melek. Windmills <laughs> that killed the birds and the real estate. What do you, what do you want? I mean, what, what do you want me to say? That there are reasons. That, that, you're, you, no, not there. That's your guy. That came out well, of Donald Trump's mouth that the windmills kill birds in real estate. Well, I do know that Republicans have been, um, in reference to the bill itself, that the Republicans have expressed some dis expressed discontent. No, 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 no. I didn't, say, I, no have... I didn't say Republicans. I'm reading you the quote that Donald Trump literally said. He didn't support it because, quote, they had windmills in there. Windmills well, that killed the birds and the real estate. Well, the bill that we're actually talking about, and, I, and there are two things that I think have, has actually been conflated. The Senate, which is where the bill is, and uh, two times that they've actually voted on it, it did not go through the Senate. There is no vote right now. There is no bill that has been voted on or about to be voted on today in the House. There's a draft proposal that Nancy Pelosi actually no, came no, no, up no, no, with. No, 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 hold on. I'm, I'm aware of all of that, but, the, but I'm, I'm speaking about the fact that Again, this is this is literally what his thinking is, which just makes no sense whatsoever. And, yeah, and here's the other deal. Here's the other piece. In a national crisis like this, doesn't it make sense to have the president and the House leadership and the Senate leadership at the table jointly, jointly negotiating? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Well, well, sure, but as we know, I mean, this is, unfortunately, this is how our government works. Right now, there are discussions being that Nancy Pelosi is having. There are discussions that... No, 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 Schumer no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. You missed something right there. That's not... I, what I said is, 
doesn't it make sense if you want to have true leadership for Donald Trump to have the House and the Senate? But the reality is this here. Donald Trump doesn't even want to talk to Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump is still so petty and bitter over impeachment that he won't even talk to her, Malik. Is that actual... Well, is that called leadership? Is that is that well, actual what, leadership? Well, well, from what I've heard Donald Trump say at the podium is that he would actually be willing to work with Nancy Pelosi. But he hasn't. Right now. No, no, no. Right he, now. He, the White, House, that... White House aides says he will not talk to her. Well, I'm, I'm just telling you what he said during the press conference. Well, we we first of all, but we know he lies at news conferences. And, he lies. and that's fine. You cannot believe him, but I'm telling you what he said. But so he lies. He has, that, and that's fine. You can believe no, that no, he no, lies. No, no, no. Lying is not that fine. That is not fine. It is not fine. That's President You can believe whatever you want to believe. No, no, no. Believe. I'm, I'm not believing you. he lies. We know I'm, he lies. <laughs> said. So you can either disagree and just not believe what he said. Okay. That's literally what he said. So the end, all of that that we were talking about with the tax credits, those are things that, you know, Republicans are against. No, right I, now, I, 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 didn't, I, just, I didn't mention Schumer, tax credits. I'm talking about windmills. So I, Schumer, who happens to... Senator Schumer, who happens to be the Senate uh, Minority Leader, Senator Schumer said that he is having great conversations with McConnell and Mnuchin. I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. But the point I'm making is, the point I'm what saying is, in a national... You, I'm you, saying, you, Malik, in a national crisis, you would think if, if the person who's sitting in the Oval Office who had some guts, he would actually sit down with people on both sides. I got to talk about what's happening in New Orleans, folks. Orleans, Orleans Parish has the sixth highest rate of known coronavirus cases of any county... Uh, in the United States. It's the only county among the nation's top 10 that is not in the New York metro area, according to an analysis of the Times-Picayune. But they have not been mentioned often in national discussions about this. In a moment, we'll be talking to uh, Dr. Corey Abair, who's the chief medical editor uh, for... Uh, he actually, actually, he's a chief... He's a director for Dillard University. Uh, and so we're going to talk to him in just a second. Folks, you see this map. Go back to the... I mean, you see this map. Go back to that map. I mean, when, when you look at that, when you look at how significant uh, this thing is in New Orleans, uh, it, it is causing a huge issue. Uh, you look at the uh, ICU beds at Alexandria, at capacity, uh, Metairie, uh, Huma, uh, look at Baton Rouge, Lake Charles. I mean, it goes down the line. Uh, Louisiana is having a serious, serious situation uh, there, and uh, it really needs, it really needs to, you know, the attention. But this is also what happens. States... They're saying to they're saying to the federal government, we need help, and unfortunately, it is too slow in coming uh, to many of these places, Michael. It is, and that's how uh, you know. I don't know. You know, I, I think I've heard a couple times this could possibly be 45's Katrina. I hate to use the reference relative because we're, you're talking about Louisiana right now, but his response, and obviously. We know what kind of people are in Louisiana. Though it's a red state, you still got a ton of black people. And so we have, you know, and again, I, I hope I'm not being too skeptical relative to how right. he thinks things through. Um, but until the Republican governor of Louisiana calls him no, no, and no, says... Actually, no, 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 no. Actually, actually, I know. Part of the issue is it's a Democratic governor. Oh, no. John Burnett was a Democratic well, governor. Hence, I'm sorry. Hence back, I'm thinking Alabama. Hence back to my point. That because it's a got it, I guess it goes back and forth. It could be considered purple, but you have a Democratic governor. Right, forty-five is not going to do anything to do anything that seems to be helpful. 
I want to I go to Dr. Corey A. Bear, who's down there in New Orleans. Doc, glad to have you on the show. Uh, Good to see you, this, this is, it is very stark what's happening in Louisiana uh, with these coronavirus, coronavirus cases. I remember a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine, she, uh, her, she said her son talked her into taking him to spring break in New Orleans. And I texted her, what the hell were you thinking? I'm like, do you know what the hell is going on in, 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 uh, in Louisiana, especially in New Orleans? Uh, and then when I sent her the story, uh, they uh, booked an earlier flight out uh, the next day to fly back early. I'm like, that's the last place you should be flying to. Right. So th this is the deal, Roland. It's, uh, people that don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Um, you can look back to the, the, uh, the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, they had a really bad pandemic going around the United States of Spanish flu, which was an H1N1 influenza virus. In Philadelphia, they knew that it was coming, but they had a parade. I couldn't make this up. They had a parade schedule, and they decided to have the parade. And then in the next six weeks, because they had 200,000 people at the parade, and in the next six weeks, 16,000 people died, 900 miles away. St. Louis got the same exact information. And instead of going on with their day, they actually quarantined and shut everything down. And they only had 100 deaths in the same amount of time. That's where we actually get that flattened curve and that spike curve. So this virus, which is a coronavirus, which is the same type of virus as SARS and MERS, um, we've been waiting on this. It comes about once every 100 years. And it's so close to, to 1918, 2020, OK? And we had, in New Orleans, a giant parade. And so what's happening now is everybody was one foot away from each other. Everybody was talking, drinking. It was kind of cold outside at some point, rainy. Um, people were picking things up off the ground, putting it on their heads, kissing and, you know, that type of thing. And so this is what we expect. I've been saying this for the last three weeks now. We are expecting the numbers to go up and to go up very rapidly, partly because of the new cases, but partly because we finally got the test. But I need people to really understand that um, as this, these numbers go up, you really shouldn't get more and more upset because across the country, the number is going to go up and up and up because this virus is a animal virus, which means no human outside of China over the last three months has any immunity to this at all. So everyone is having to make an immune response, which means older people who have no real ability to make an immune response are dying. Younger people who have autoimmune diseases or are pre-existing illnesses or uh, hypertension, diabetes, um, uh, obesity, these types of things, they are also at a very high risk. Now, of course, everyone is going to say, well, my cousin, Pookie, you know, is 35. He died. He was absolutely fine. Yeah, my best friend, Jonathan, was 50, and he was fine and, and died. Those are, and, and I'm not saying this, Anthony Fauci used his words, these words, those are people are outliers and one-offs. You're going to be able to see your friend that, that, that did this or your cousin that did this. But public health as, as a whole, those people are, are not going to be the lion's share of people that are uh, going to be dying and having a, a fundamental difficult time with this virus. Doc, when you, when you hear Donald Trump stand at the podium and actually say we're almost at the end of this, and then when you hear him talking about how it's going to be glorious to have packed churches on Easter Sunday, April 12th, what's your response? Um, that's setting people up for a disaster. Not only is, this, is that going to be a disaster, what people don't understand is we have to look at this, this virus that, is, that we don't know much about to begin with. 
if we don't do what we're supposed to do, this virus is going to go away for the summertime, all right? And it's going to come back in the fall and kill more people or, or, or hurt more people. This is something that we have to continue social distancing because it's not an airborne virus. It is a virus that, when, as I'm speaking to you right now, if you were here, you can't see it, but I'm spitting on you for all practical purposes. When right. I'm breathing, my respiratory droplets are coming out of my nose just by just talking. That's why we're recommending if everybody stays six to eight feet away from each other, then that won't land on your clothes, and then you touch your clothes or your face and then touch your eyes or your nose and get in. So the problem is that we have to continue to social distance, but people are not really listening, Roland. And if they don't listen, this is going to be a real problem. And it's going to be a real problem. And this is this is the bigger issue for black people. It, this is going to be a real problem for old black people. And this is... A, I need to hear your grandmother tell me a story. I need to have those recipes. I have to need that leadership. The young people, by and large, are 80% of people are going to be absolutely fine, okay? But it's the older people that are going to have these issues, and we're going to lose a generation of people of culture that we're not ready to lose. Well, it's, it's uh, uh, guys, get the video of, of Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick ready. Uh, he said something last night on Fox News that was so sickening, so despicable, uh, that it, 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 it was ju it just made no sense whatsoever. Uh, Doc, go ahead and play it. I want to show y'all the stupidity of Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick. Lieutenant Governor, I work 12 or 15 hours a day, mostly from home now, but I travel when I need to. Uh, I'm living smart, listening to the president, the CDC guidelines, like all people should, but I'm not living in fear of COVID-19. What I'm living in fear of is what's happening to this country. And, you know, Tucker, no one reached out to me and said, uh, as a senior citizen, uh, are you willing to take a chance on your survival in exchange for keeping the America that all America loves for your children and grandchildren? And if that's the exchange, I'm all in. My message is that um, let's get back to work. Let's get back to living. Let's be smart about it. Uh, and those of us who are 70-plus, we'll, we'll take care of ourselves, but don't sacrifice the country. Dr. Aber, this that idiot literally said, hey, old Americans, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll be on our own in order for our kids to, to have a financial future. So what? The kids don't give a damn about grandmother and grandfather? Uh, big yeah. mama, big daddy don't care about their parents? My parents are 72 in yeah. Texas. So what I'm supposed to say, hey, you know what? All right, so for the sake of my nieces and nephews, why don't y'all go ahead and die right now? What the hell? Well, you know what? Look at look at culturally how that group of people treats their elderly and treats their their uh, their, their young people. I mean, this country is the only country that doesn't have paid parental leave. It's the only country that you can't you know um, take care of your children with free daycare. Only industrialized country, so we treat our our, our children horribly. We put our they put their their family members in date and uh in, in elderly uh nursing homes by and large in large numbers and they don't even treat their pets well in that in that culture so when when you see that that's that's what they think and so you know we and, and, and people of color tend not to think that way you know we, we think about uh living more communally and taking care of our older people and that's that's not something that i'm i'm thinking that's just in the literature you know what i mean i'm not trying to be you know racist or anything i'm just saying that's that is what we read in the literature, that these communities just do things differently, and that's that, and that's evident in, the, in his statement. But, when to, but to be a lieutenant governor and pretty much say, let's just leave our elderly citizens 
uh, out on, on their own or survive. That to me is sickening. Final comment, yeah. Dr. Aber. Yeah. I want you to remember this, though. This is very important. I need people to remember, please do not panic. When you panic, it makes it seem like the, there's no logical thought in process right now. There are a lot of people actually doing a lot of logical thought, including Dr. Anthony Fauci. I know very well he's trying to take care of his business. But what I don't want you to I want you to not to panic because if you panic, you increase your cortisol level. Cortisol is a steroid. It is a fight-or-flight hormone that comes out when you are nervous and upset and anxious. As you increase that level of cortisol or steroid, your, it makes your immune system go down. If your immune system goes down, then you're more apt to get the virus. So the more you panic, the more apt you are to get the virus. So what I need you to do is I need you to relax in this situation. Stay at home. Control what you can control. You can control washing your hands. You can control making people take off their shoes before they, go, they come in your house. You control how much you eat. Uh, and, and what and what you drink, meaning eat vegetables, don't drink a lot of alcohol, don't smoke, and eat uh, and, and get your rest, drink water. Those things are very important. Uh, yes. All yes. right, Dr. Abear, we appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. All right, brother. I appreciate. It. Take care. All right, folks. Um, I'm gonna go back to my panel on that one. Melik, what? As a Republican, what? What the hell was Dan Patrick talking about? That I, 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 I thought Republicans were pro-life, like. <laughs> Like the hell with the elderly? Really? Yeah, I, I have no idea what your home state's lieutenant governor was talking about. Yeah, but hey, that's my home state, yeah. but he your Republican. That, that That's all right. I mean, your state voted for him, and that's okay. No, no, no. Uh, no. They voted for him. I didn't vote for his dumb ass. I used to do, I used to do a Sunday show on uh, KPRC called Newsmakers. It was a Sunday, uh, uh, like, like a Sunday morning show uh, that aired, and Dan Patrick was batshit crazy then, and so no way in hell I would... He just got crazier when he became a conservative radio talk show host and then ran for the legislature and now is lieutenant governor. Uh, and so I tweeted, he's an absolute national... He's an embarrassment uh, to any Texan, uh, but, I mean, but to say something like that... Hey, yeah, I'll take the trade-off. So the hell with our grandparents and our parents to protect, what, the 401ks of, of, of people? Jeez. Yeah, I, that, that, that it's, it's, this is the first time I heard it when listening to your show. And it's a ridiculous statement to make. I don't, I, 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 and normally in these type of situations, you say to yourself, well, let me understand, you know, let me see the fuller tape so I can understand it in context. But you really can't get around what he just said at that particular moment. It's kind of hard to explain it. So, no, it's not something. And, I, and obviously, this is not a Republican thing. He just happens to be a Republican saying this type of stuff. But Well, he, he says he, a whole bunch of other crazy, batshit stuff, Kelly. So this ain't the first time Dan Patrick uh, has shown how much of an idiot he is. And I, I'm, I don't have any quotes that... Uh, prove that I, I trust you when you say that he said a whole bunch of dumb stuff. Oh, because I know. If you say a whole something lot. Like, a whole lot. A whole lot? Well, again, I trust you on that. But at the end of the day, it was just really insulting to me because my last living grandparent is 89 years old. And she only lives in Baltimore. I live in D.C. And I can't go see her because I know that I could be a carrier for something that could take her out. I can't go see my mother because she's immunocompromised. And even though she's younger, you know, she, she'll be 60 this year. I can't go see her. She can't come see me, even though we live relatively close, because I'm worried that I could be, you know, be the reason that she could be taken out of this world. So I don't take this lightly. I don't see how a leader of a state could take this lightly either or worse. 
prioritized money and profit over his constituents who voted for him. It is beyond absurd. It is absolutely disgusting. And he's talking about himself, if you really think about it. Like, he's in that upper echelon of age where he could be taken out by this virus, too. And, you're, and he's saying, I'm willing to die for, for money that I'm not even going to see. And again, this ties back to that whole uh, the whole church sentiment. Like these are people who consider themselves to be evangelical Christians and following Christ, and you know, doing the right thing, pro-life, all of that stuff. And the last thing that they are talking about, the last thing they seem to be caring about, is people's lives. So the hypocrisy is real with this. Yep. And I would just urge for people to just ignore it. All right, folks, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms announced yesterday that she signed a 14-day stay-at-home order due to, the, due to the coronavirus pandemic. Aside from exceptions for essential services and businesses, Atlanta residents are directed to stay inside their homes, according to the executive order. The exemptions to the order include essential city services and businesses, grocery stores, gas stations, pharmacies, laundromats, parks, the Atlanta Beltline, and restaurants serving takeout. All right, folks, there have been so many different uh, folks who have been talking about, again, uh, what should the reaction be and then also how should we respond. Social distancing is one of, the, uh, one of those issues. Now, in a media briefing about COVID-19, the head of the World Health Organization said that self-distancing will not slow down the acceleration of the virus. Check this out. Asking people to stay at home and other physical distancing measures are an important way to, of slowing down the spread of the virus and buying time. But they are defensive measures that will not help us to win. To win, we need to attack the virus with aggressive and targeted tactics. Testing every suspected case, isolating and caring for every confirmed case. Well, this makes sense. Now, a new Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report indicates that the strength of the coronavirus can now live on surfaces for more than two weeks. The CDC found traces of COVID-19 on surfaces in the cabins of both symptomatic and asymptomatic infected passengers on the Carnival Cruise Line's Diamond Princess cruise ship 17 days ago, after pa 17 days after passengers had left the cabins. Now, the cabins had yet to be disinfected. While the data doesn't show if transmission took place, occurred from surfaces, the CDC reports rec recommends exploring that further. Man, talk about just uh, unbelievable. All right, folks, um, many of you saw this video. Uh, of a uh, official, a brother in Florida, just snapping in a meeting because where he is, where he governs, they were pretty much shutting the lights off of people and their power as opposed to being compassionate. His name is Omari Hardy. He's a commissioner for Lake Worth Beach. This took place last week when he confronted the city manager of the city's handling of coronavirus. Man, watch this. Can we do better? There's always things that pop up that we can do better on, um, and I call the question. I'm sorry, that's not how this works. We each have an opportunity to speak five minutes. 
I believe I thought we did. Yeah, the question's no, been I'm, called. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. We've been and that's not how calling the question works. You need a second and you need to vote then on it. Then I have a second for uh, calling so the question. So are you telling me that you're going to keep me from talking right now? You've talked all evening. Look, all look evening. here. You're calling me disrespectful because I've interrupted people, but this gentleman has turned off people's lights in the middle of a global health pandemic. That's what that gentleman did. Point of order. order. And you think I'm disrespectful point for interrupting of, point, point of order. This gentleman has point had the ability to do any number of things. Point we could have order. banned large gatherings. We could have closed the beach. We could have put a moratorium on, 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 I on utility cutoffs. I recess. Also not within your power, and the attorney the has held that that's true. I recess the meeting. You came up with new rules at the beginning of the meeting, and then you didn't even want to follow the rules that you came up with. And you took advantage This is a banana republic is what you're turning this place into with your so-called leadership. Does a recess mean that we will be... Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't care gotta, anything about this. I don't care anything about this. Does we should have been talking about this last week. Can we... We cut off people's utilities this week and made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that and you didn't want to meet. But every other year, you go around and beg people for their votes. Can we uh, explain the reason? you care more about your relationship with that guy than you care about the relationship with the people who don't go to work in this building. You are done. You are done. You're done. Disrespectful. Disrespectful is what you've done to the working people in this city. I didn't do anything. You failed to act. I didn't do anything. When you're a leader, you failed to act. You said you didn't do anything. You failed to act. Oh when you had an opportunity. Party for Statehouse. I don't care anything about that. Do you think anybody cares? Does a recess mean that we can reconvene tonight? Yes. Or Okay. Is that in five minutes or? Uh... Joining us right now is Commissioner Omari Hardy. Commissioner, glad to have you in Roland Martin Unfiltered. I'm happy to be here, Roland. Thank well, you for inviting me. She pissed you off. That's true. <laughs> I got heated just watching that exchange again. So so you're sitting there, and I take it people were reaching out to you talking about uh, those shutoffs, and what? The city manager, the, the mayor didn't care? The other council members didn't care? Yes, that's the way that I saw it. Um, the week before that meeting, actually seven days before that meeting, I attempted to uh, call an emergency meeting of the city commission to give the city manager very specific instructions on how to handle and navigate through this novel uh, coronavirus crisis. You know, and in Florida, we have emergencies every single year. We have hurricanes, and we know how to get through those. But this is something that's new. We haven't seen it before. And so I felt that the commission, the elected body, the folks who represent the people, uh, needed to give the city manager very specific instructions on how to handle it, how to address utility shutoffs, which is mainly uh, not to do them at all, and also how to take care of our employees uh, to make sure that they have paid emergency leave and that their um, out-of-pocket medical expenses would be um, guaranteed so that they wouldn't feel the need to weigh their finances against their health. I didn't want any of our employees uh, to wonder, you know, where they're going to get stuck with a surprise bill coming out of a hospital or a surprise bill after getting tested for coronavirus. I wanted them to just be comfortable going to get the test without worrying about the financial ramifications. The city manager blew me off. Uh, three of my colleagues uh, blew me off. They didn't want to have a meeting. And the following week, the city manager commenced to shut off utilities to 52 families in a single day, in a single day. And that uh, incensed me. Um, this obviously has gone national. What has happened? Um, have they pulled back on that? 
Did they respond or are they continually shutting off the power of citizens? So thankfully, um, I you know, was able to alert the local news media as to what was happening with our shutoffs because I was losing inside City Hall. A majority of my colleagues didn't want to enact a moratorium on shutoffs. They didn't want to meet. And the city manager didn't want to enact a moratorium or for the city commission to meet. So I just went to the press. I went to the fourth estate. I said, this gentleman is cutting off people's powers, uh, power. And I have you know, the evidence that that's the case. And by the time a camera uh, was in front of his face, he changed his tune completely. Um, that was the night before the meeting. But then we got to the meeting, and he didn't want to acknowledge anything of what had happened over the week. He didn't want to have any discussion um, about, you know, the issues that we have been having. And uh, our colleagues, you know, my colleagues basically wanted to slide into that building and have a meeting just to say that they had a meeting and slide out of that building without having done anything to protect our workers uh, and, and, and also to protect, you know, the residents and the utility customers within the city. And I thought that that was a daggone shame. Um, and so uh, I take it uh, they're not too fond of you uh, blowing the whistle on them, but the reality is, if you're there to serve the, the constituents, that's what you're supposed to do. Correct. You know, I, I taught civics for several years. Um, and, and in Florida, every seventh grader has to take civics. And so one of the things that, you know, we teach our students in civics is uh, popular sovereignty. You know, it's the idea uh, that the power that elected officials have come from the people. And um, every single election, you get an opportunity to take that power back and to give it to someone who uh, remembers and knows where that power comes from. And, and, and frankly, you know, my, my colleagues, or at least three of them, I don't want to say all of them, because Commissioner Herman Robinson was one of those commissioners who, you know, like myself, wanted to have an emergency meeting to address these issues. But three of my colleagues forgot who put those titles in front of their names. And, um, you know, what, what has happened um, since is that, you know, a light has been shined on this situation that, that no one knew anything about. And now what it's doing is it's disciplining uh, the city manager and it's disciplining my colleagues and they know now that because people are watching they cannot do wrong uh, and, and and that was the only way frankly and unfortunately to get them to do right Commissioner Omari Hardy we certainly appreciate you joining us at Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, thanks a bunch and keep giving them hell thank you I appreciate it Roland all right thank you very much uh, let's go to my panel uh, Kelly talk about uh, invoking Robin Harris is hot pissed off to the highest of pissivity I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I don't think Kelly even know who Robin Harris is. I didn't hear what you said. I said, I said, that sounds like Robin Harris pissed off to the highest of pissivity. No, for sure. I mean, this is what elector, elected officials should be doing. They should be advocating on our behalf. And when people uh, actually use their voice that us, the people, give them, this is what happens. Like, people fight for us. So I commend Omari for doing that for his constituents, and I just wish Donald Trump would do the same. He clearly isn't. Malik? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, mentioned Donald Trump, I guess, but it, it was good. You know, the interesting thing about um, West, you know, that where the district where he is, is that the, I think it's Hispanics make up an overwhelming majority of the population there. So it was kind of interesting looking at the demographics and the commission itself. Um, it's good that he actually came out, you know, of course, no one really wants to see colleagues, you know, arguing or anything like that in front of cameras. But in this particular case, he had a valid concern. 
And I'm sure, you know, he did address it later. You know, there were things about it he may have changed, but the overall um, message that he was talking about no, is something that he, he had. That wasn't nothing he, he would change. He was right he, here. He, he wasn't nothing he wanted to change. When he, well, what I'm referring to is when he actually addressed the public and uh, when he actually addressed the public. So you can say that he didn't change anything or whatever, but he addressed the public and it was separate from what they did on the show. But the city itself, you know, the fact that businesses are in the time of an emergency turning off the utilities for its customers, you know, and, and it's not even a racial thing at this point. You know, you're literally turning off utilities for a customer in places all over the country, whether it's Ohio, New York, even here in Washington, D.C., Illinois, plenty of places are actually businesses themselves are offering extensions of bill payment and things like that during this crisis. So he was right to call attention to it. But I imagine that this is not only happening there, that it's happening in other places. So hopefully, you know, those other places can get attention and you really can press upon businesses the urgency of now when we're talking about people who haven't gotten a check in a couple of weeks. Bottom line, uh, Michael, that's how people want to see elected officials standing up and calling out shameful colleagues. Look, as a, as a former local elected official, I give him huge dap, commend him, much respect. He said everything right. He did everything right. I frankly didn't think he would have any issues related to uh, disrespectful at all. They tried to basically turn his mic off, shut down the meeting, so he couldn't talk. He did exactly right, everything right. I have no problem with anything he did. Big ups. Absolutely. And so, again, that's the kind of leadership that we need uh, all across this country. Uh, it needs to happen. Uh, folks, we've talked about, of course, uh, the, on the issue of coronavirus and how African Americans are impacted in New York City. A principal has passed away due to complications from the coronavirus. Uh, Dazan Romaine, she's 36, she was just 36 years old, the first known New York City public school staff member to die from the virus. Romaine was the principal at Brooklyn Democracy Academy, a transfer high school for students who are over age or undercredited. She's one of 125 New York City residents to die of COVID-19. Uh, also, folks, uh, former Texas A&M basketball guard David Edwards, who also played at Georgetown, passed away from COVID-19, confirmed by family and a spokesperson by Texas A&M. Edwards, Edwards, who played at Texas A&M, averaged 13.5 points, 7.1 assists, 4.9 rebounds, and 2.7 steals in 85 games. As a member of the Texas A&M Aggies, in his later seasons, he led the Southwest Conference with 265 assists, which remains the school's single-season record. Uh, I actually was there for one of those years. Uh, David was there. He was the transfer from Georgetown after the 1991 season, uh, and I was uh, still a student there, graduating in December 91. David Edwards was a great guy, uh, a, a real baller. Uh, who was just who was just phenomenal, uh, and uh, again, just uh, again, uh, not even 50 years old, uh, and so certainly thoughts and prayers go out to uh, his family uh, as well. Uh, you say something to him, um, uh, Michael? No, sorry about that, Roland. Okay. Uh, also, I want to pull this up because um, uh, I saw this on my man D Nice's page uh, uh, of an artist, and I, I thought uh, I don't know why we didn't. Okay, we're supposed to have that. Uh, but um, uh, saxophonist Manu Dabongo uh, passed away as well. Go to my, uh, go right here. And so he, uh, of course, uh, uh, best known for his 1972 song, Soul Makasa. He also died from COVID-19, was 81 years old. You might remember 
I'm going to say Makusa, that line from Michael Jackson's uh, When We Start in Something, actually came from his song. He sued Michael Jackson, and then, of course, that was settled out of court. And so uh, he has passed away as well. And so people really need to understand uh, that COVID-19 is real. It has a serious, serious uh, impact. And all across this country, uh, I, I, I just think that, I just, I just, I just think, and I'll, I'll go, I'll start with you, Michael. Um, you can't play games with this. This is real. Uh, to listen, matter of fact, that was a uh, that was a comment that Ed Henry made on Fox News that kind of actually pissed a lot of people off. Uh, I'm gonna try to find it. Um, and he was talking about, you know, because you know, Donald Trump's whole thing now is, well, we can't allow this thing to really wreck our economy. Uh, I want to play for y'all. This is what Ed Henry said today on Fox News, and I want to get all of y'all's response to this. Uh, and so, um, go right ahead. Yesterday at the same news conference, uh, Dr. Hotez said that the best estimate right now of the mortality rate here in the United States is 0.7 or 0.8%, as in less than 1%. Now, every life matters, and you don't want to minimize any of them, but when the mortality rate is that low, what is the balance? What would be your advice to the president if, say, he He's trying to make this decision this coming weekend ahead of the expiration of the 15 days to slow the spread. So what I would, would tell the president, say, Mr. President, you know, the mortality rate, you know, that may sound like a low rate. In fact, it's about five or six times higher than influenza. And what's more, it's not just older individuals. We have a lot, we're seeing about, according to the Centers for Disease Control, we're seeing about a third of the patients uh, who are hospitalized under the age of, of 40 mm -hmm. or 44. And, and even though they're not necessarily dying, their lives are being saved because they're in ICUs being taken care of. And the risk, I mean, the reason why Italy looks like Italy right now is you have so many patients in ICUs that they just can't take care of them all. Yeah. And you're starting to see high mortality. So I would say, look. So, Michael, when you hear that, well, yeah, you know, the low mortality rate, yeah, I mean, that that's great, but you don't want that to be your colleague. I mean, you got some Fox News people right now who are quarantined. It was a brother at NBC News who died because of coronavirus. So, that they, so I mean, I get it, this, but again, it's amazing how you have people who are going, yeah, you know, but you know, this is really hurting the economy. Look at the stock market. Let's get back to normal. Let's get people back in churches, back to shopping. No, you better, you want to get a handle on this whole damn thing so it doesn't get worse. It's, and as you mentioned in your at the start of the question about the seriousness of this. So I had a cold about a week, week and a half ago, and um, my doctor, you know, saw some numbers and said he didn't say come tomorrow. He didn't say give come in a couple days. He said you need to come in today so that I can get you tested. Came in, got the COVID test, which is an extremely not exactly the most comfortable test to take. But thank goodness I was negative, but wasn't the point. The point was these medical professionals are taking this extremely seriously. They're not playing around. Everyone, the only people seem to be playing around are 45 and his friends. Tony is not, Dr. Vascal is not. He knows the seriousness. I'm wondering, Roland, if we could have a fly in that room or frankly in the room with him and his friends, if he's thinking, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't come out here protecting this dude, contradicting him. I don't want to do it. He doesn't know what he's doing. 
Because he's got to be thinking that. I could be wrong. I have no idea. But the professionals, the scientists, don't seem to have the voice they should have. This administration, keep in mind, he also cut the pandemic office from the National Security Council. Melly, the greatest, the greatest mistake we could make is to cut the response short to try to get back to normalcy and this thing spiral out of control. If your health, not. if your health ex not or not, if, if the experts, again, this is very simple here. If you've got a problem with your car, a problem with your heart, and let's say a problem with your brain, you don't go to the car mechanic to fix your brain problem. And you don't go to the heart surgeon to fix your brain problem. And you don't go to the brain surgeon to fix your car problem. How hard is it to let the health experts do what they do? I don't, I don't think it's hard at all. And the, the, I think you said the gentleman's name was Ed Henry. What Ed Henry said was pretty much a repeat of what the federal government officials have been saying as far as the projections. No, 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 no. He wasn't, no, no. He wasn't speaking just about the projections, Malik. What he was talking about is, well, you know, we got to sort of have this balance between these deaths and the economy. That's pretty, I mean, that, and that's what these, the health experts are saying we cannot do by playing games with trying to sh stop or, or, or curtail uh, the, this, uh, the, sh the shutdown and the distancing because they said, the health experts are saying, Malik, we don't have this thing under control. Yeah, so I think there are two different discussions there. So there is a discussion <laughs> to be had about what is the reason, of course, no death is good, but what is a reasonable threshold for deaths where we can say that, okay, well, maybe we have this under control. There doesn't How about no deaths? But, but, but we're talking about a reasonable threshold. When government, when organizations or scientists or governments or whatever, when they're studying this, this is exactly what we were talking about, what happened in China. You know, when, when they get to a reasonable threshold, then we can have a conversation about is this Malik, too low or this Malik, too Malik, Malik, this is the reasonable threshold. Are you seeing a decrease in new cases today from yesterday? That that is also part of a reasonable threshold. No, 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 no. In South Korea, in South Korea, in China, and all these uh, Italy, all these other countries, what they're looking at is they're saying, when is it flattened? How do you get to that point? Is when you have tested enough people to the point where you're not seeing an increase in new cases. You're not I, seeing I an increase in deaths. These people are already talking about going back to normalcy when we're still in the midst of an actual increase. Well, I, I mean, we literally talk about the death toll that this has taken every day. So I don't think it's so out of bounds to have a conversation about what, as far as a scientist is concerned, the medical experts, 
Is there anything that they look at as a reasonable threshold where we can say where the deaths are not spiraling out of control? There was a second point that you made about the economy, which, um, I mean, and it's not an, a comfortable conversation to have, but we do also have to be concerned about the economy because it's not just people are losing their jobs. There are many people, like I'm sure those of us who are, you know, on this panel now, who've invested in the stock market, where we need to be concerned about the economy. So I think that there is a balancing act that the government that businesses even must take when they're saying, okay, well, how long can we afford to stay closed? And we were talking about the, as far as what the president, what the president can do, the president can't do anything but say, well, we're no longer under this 15 day, you know, self quarantine. That's the only thing that the president can do as far as the national economy. He can't open back up the economy. As you said, that's something that governors and state leaders are doing. So the Kelly, only thing that the president... K Kelly, here's what's stunning to me. Here's what's stunning to me in all of this. Do, does Donald Trump actually think that businesses and, emplo and employees are going to be perfectly fine with? Okay, sure. Yeah, you know what? We're going to go ahead and go to that church and sit next to 500 people. Sure. We're going to go back going into stores. Sure, we're going to pack buses and subways. Sure, we're going to do all of that. We're going to do all of those things because Donald Trump says he's, he's in his gut, things are getting better. No, Kelly. The reality is when you have a pandemic, you do not listen to political people. You listen to the experts, the health experts whose job is to ensure this does not get worse. Not only that, but it is really frustrating to me how these political experts, Donald Trump specifically, and, and his cronies, will bifurcate the, the person from the position. So you want people to have jobs, and you want people working, and you want people doing this and that, and going to church or whatever, and, and stimulating the economy. Well, what actually does it? It's, it's not a coffee person. It's not a banker. It is a human being. Human beings get sick. That is the whole point of this. Human beings need to stay home. Human beings need to get better. Human beings are dying because of this pandemic. And the economy will be fine. You understand? Every, like anything non-human related will be okay because it, it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. People are dying. We need to take care of people first so that the non-human related entities and processes can go forward. But you can't have an economy without people. You can't have a business without people in them. Corporations, no matter what the Supreme Court says, they are not people. You need people to run those corporations. But if those people running the corporations are dying because of a pandemic, because our president is saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal, we have a problem. Look, you got you got dumb you, 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 you got dumbass Jerry Falwell Jr., who is literally saying, Liberty University students, come on back to school. Does that like, make God sense? God's going to take care of you at a university. Does, no. that, does that make sense, Melly? 
No, I, I don't think that that's something. I'm, I'm so actually surprised. I, I guess maybe is, is that South Carolina, North Carolina? I can't remember. Hell no, that's Virginia. Lynchburg, Virginia. Well, yeah, well, I'm actually surprised that he's even able to do that because, again, we have to. I, I get what you all no, are no, saying. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. He's able to do it. The governor of Virginia, Virginia does not have a shelter in place. Okay, yeah, so that's that's what I was actually um, getting ready to say. But, you know, the fact that, that Virginia itself does not have a shelter in place, you know, other places around the country, whether it's Maryland, whether it's Illinois, other places around the country have the shelter in place. Well, only so about 20 states. First of school, all... So he shouldn't be able... I don't think that he should be able to keep the school open, considering what we've been talking about as far as just how contagious this is. Yeah, so but, Malik, but Malik, he's a, but Malik, he's a white conservative evangelical, and he's saying the Lord will provide the Lord well, will protect. The, the white, white evangelical versus black evangelical, I, I don't think that it has to be any type of racial component. He's oh, an no, no, hold on, Mel. Black evangelical churches are closed. Black and, evangelical churches are closed. I don't know how many doctors. actually, I, I don't know how many black evangelicals founded a school. So are you saying that black That's evangelicals... What Dude. the hell? What what the hell are you talking about? You just said black. You just said black evangelicals. We're talking about someone keeping a school open. No, hold on, Melly. White Melly. White conservative evangelicals have a different view of this. You had the pastor down in Arkansas who said that his supporters don't. They didn't believe coronavirus were, were real, and they will they, they will be willing to lick the floor in order to prove it. And, and that's something ridiculous. But I don't think that this has to be a white evangelical Lord, conversation. But, but I, guess I just what? Don't think Wh that this has to be a white evangelical White conservative evangelicals are Trump's biggest supporters. And this whole deal with Trump by saying, hey, let's, get, let's, let's open everything by Easter, that's who he's appealing to. We know well, what that game is. Be, there, there are lots of other people than white evangelicals who look forward to Easter Sunday. No, 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 no. We, we ain't looking forward to getting infected. Well, no, we're not. No, we're not. And I don't... I, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't... Melly, Melly, white conservative evangelicals... Melly, this is real simple. White conservative evangelicals will be absolutely crazy if they go to school, Liberty University, and you show up and thousands of people on campus and then you have no uh, campus-wide testing. I would say tell Jerry Falwell Jr. he is out of his damn mind and I'll see you next semester. I got to go to a couple. I got to go to. I got to go to a couple more stories, folks. Uh, sad news out of Chicago. Erica Gordon Taylor, the cousin of Emmett Till, passed away at the age of 50 on Saturday. Uh, Gordon Taylor was a civil rights advocate and the founder and executive director of the Mamie Till Mobley Memorial Foundation, named in honor of Till's mother. The organization provided education, enrichment, and empowerment to young people. Recently, she advocated in Congress for the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act which passed the House in February. Gordon Taylor had been battling kidney problems for decades, including two transplants. Gordon Taylor's legacy and efforts will live on through her mother, Ollie Gordon, Emmett Till's cousin. Also, folks, Darius Swan, who started the Milestone Supreme Court case that made busing a 240 segregation, died March 8th in Centerville, Virginia. He was 95. His wife, Vera, said the cause was pneumonia. Reverend Swan was one of the many trailblazers during the Civil Rights Movement. In 1964, after a failed attempt to send his six-year-old son to a neighborhood uh, to a neighborhood integrated elementary school, the Swans were led to be the lead plaintiffs in the case Swan v. Charlotte Mecklenburg Board of Education. Darius Swan earned his master's and Ph.D. degree in 1971. He 
He taught at George Mason University from 1971 to 1984 and at the Interdenominational Theological Center in Georgia from 1984 to 1993. Sir Dow condolences go out to the family of uh, Swan as well as, of course, um, Erica as well. All right, folks. Um, that is uh, it for us. It has been quite uh, a uh, busy news-making day. But before we go, before we go, I got to do this here, folks. Uh, I came across this video uh, on the from uh, Stomp the Yard website, and it was a man talking about, talking about a heartwarming story. Uh, this woman, an Alpha Kappa Alpha member, uh, she is undergoing chemo for cancer. And, of course, uh, this whole coronavirus, uh, where her line sisters could not visit her, so they had a surprise for her outside. Watch this. Volume. Kingston.
tears. Go get the hook, Bookie. Go get the hook. It's a friend of mine. God's got a blessing. Well, that, folks, right there was one uh, nice video that shows you uh, sisterhood there. And so uh, they could not, uh, they couldn't hug her, they couldn't, they couldn't kiss her, but uh, they had to keep their distance because of coronavirus. But uh, uh, that was uh, certainly a heartwarming video that we want to share with all of you. I want to thank our panelists, uh, Melick, Kelly, as well as Michael. I want to thank everybody who joined us today, all of our guests as well. Uh, folks, remember, we need you to stay safe. We need you to wash your hands. We need you to use hand sanitizer. Uh, we need you to keep your distance as well. Uh, if you have any of the symptoms of coronavirus, uh, what we need you to do is, of course, uh, get checked out immediately as possible. Self-quarantine uh, as well. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to show you what Oprah did to Stedman. Uh, he had been traveling. Oprah's making Stedman stay at the guest house. Lord have mercy, she did Stedman wrong. And so uh, we're going to show you all that video tomorrow. Also, tomorrow's show, we're going to talk about cannabis. Y'all realize that uh, cannabis shops have been named uh, essential places to remain open. We're going to have a panel of uh, African-Americans who are involved in the cannabis space to talk about that uh, as well right here on the show. But... Coming up next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered, what's going to happen is we're going to end the show. Uh, so all of y'all been seeing my man D-Nice. Uh, he has been uh, out here just doing it. Uh, he's been out here just spinning, uh, you know, nine hours uh, on um, uh, on Friday, on Saturday. Uh, well, what's so what's going on is, so when we were in Chicago for Lewis Carr's men's conference, uh, we did an interview with D-Nice. He was one of the folks who we talked to. And so what we did with him is uh, we talked to him, and so we talked to some others as well. But we're going to share for you, we're going to have the interview with uh, I did with D-Nice, talking about him being on top, uh, going to the bottom and coming back on top. He talked about the art of DJing. It's a really great interview. Uh, and let me tell you something. I'm going to go to this page. So when he started this whole thing, y'all, do you have to explain something, y'all? Last Monday, eight days ago, D-Nice had about 200 you know, 1,000, 220,000, 230,000 followers. Uh, on Saturday, on sa on Friday, on Friday, at 9 p.m., he had 266,000. At midnight, 566,000. Right now, here we go to my uh, iPad. My man's at 1.5 million followers. Well, tomorrow, he's going to have uh, a couch party uh, a voter registration live set uh, partnering with Michelle Obama's uh, voter uh, group. Uh, Stephanie Young helped put this thing together, and so it's when we all vote. And so it's 6.30 p.m. tomorrow, so you're going to check that out. But coming up next, my interview with D-Nice is one you don't want to miss. It's a great conversation, uh, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Please support what we do by going to RollerMarketUnfiltered.com, a cash app, PayPal, Square, all of those uh, abilities. You know, our cash app is, is a dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Your dollars make this show possible. Makes Gives us the opportunity to present to you black experts, people who are phenomenal, who are out here uh, teaching uh, when it comes to this issue of coronavirus. Look, you're not seeing these places, in people anywhere else. 
We're the only digital show that's out here every single day giving you the top black experts in so many different fields. So please support what we do by going to RollerMarkUnfiltered.com. All right, folks, I shall see y'all tomorrow. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.